Welcome to this GemTrain.org presentation, where you will be able to enjoy some wonderful free content that we sincerely hope will help you overcome the challenges of autism. Some content from this presentation is not included here, but the entire presentation is available on our website, GemTrain.org. My name is Dr. Jeff Knight. I'm a chiropractic physician, and I specialize in treating children with autism, specifically with uh, helping them with detoxification, helping their nervous system, their digestive system, and really overall providing peace of mind, hope, freedom, and confidence for them and their families so that they can contribute better to the world. And this is an area that is near and dear to my heart. And I also have been featured on some podcasts that are known nationally, uh, a docu-series that just recently came out uh, this past fall that uh, reached you know international um, lengths. Why? Because this is uh, something that I really am excited to share with people. I realize that when I talk to parents and understand the challenges they face, I know when I'm serving a, a child with autism that I'm not just serving him or her, but that I'm serving the whole family. And this is something where I'm just thrilled to share this with people throughout the world so that they can learn and understand that there is hope and you just don't have to cope um, with the symptoms that your child might have. And this is uh, something that I know is going to be beneficial for you. So please do pay attention, pull out your pen and note pa paper and take some notes because we're going to be diving into some important things today. So a lot of people have heard that toxicity can definitely affect children with autism. Well, let's first talk about what is a toxin and what that might look like in your body or your child's body. So specifically, there's a few main toxins that I would say are the ones that I would be most, um, uh, you know, would be the most concerning or the ones that provide the, the most impact negatively on our bodies. And those would, I'd group them in a few, few different categories. So I would say the heavy metals, I would say a second group would be um, uh, like pesticides and herbicides. And then uh, a third one would be mold or biotoxins. Now, heavy metal toxicity, some of those look like mercury, aluminum, lead. Um, I mean, there's a list of so many others, nickel, beryllium, bismuth, I could go on. But the ones that are probably primarily the most negative um, towards an autistic, a child with autism would be the mercury and the lead. And as far as the pesticides and herbicides, they're one of the main ingredients found in a lot of those is called glyphosate. So glyphosate is sprayed on the majority of our crops. And this is something that can be very detrimental to our digestive health. It can lead to what you know you and I have probably heard about is leaky gut, um, which actually can lead to leaky brain, which means toxins are going to be more easily, you know, going to get deeper into our tissues and into the brain, which can negatively affect, you know, of course, behavior, mood, hormones, you know, all sorts of different things. And then uh, mold. So you know, this is something that oftentimes goes hidden and unknown, and can be you know anything from homes that have been exposed to a lot of water damage. Maybe if you do live in areas of the country that are more moist in, in nature, um, those are some areas that people are gonna be maybe a little bit more prone to. However, you could find it even in 
in an area where there's a desert and if the home isn't being well kept and if there is potential leakage or whatever, you know, some of these mold toxin exposures can really pr provide a lot of stress on the body. One other thing I would add to that that's not necessarily a toxin but definitely can be sometimes a problematic issue is some hidden infections. And that could be some viral, so it could be a bacterial infection or even a potential parasitic um, you know, in, uh, infection that's really a, you know, detrimental to the child's health and potentially can irritate digestive you know, support, which then in return can have a negative effect on the brain. And we got this cycle of um, challenges going on from all the stressors that are happening in the body at that time. So in the gut, the majority of our neurotransmitters are actually um, made there. And, and that means like our serotonin and our dopamine and all those other things, you know, are being produced in the, in the digestive tract, which then positively can affect the brain. And so, you know, the body is so interconnected. We have the brain that controls all the function and it sends signals down the spinal cord, like a, a river of information going down out through the nerves and it goes and attached to every organ gland and tissue and so there's this constant feedback of information going from brain to body body to brain and that information is just a constant flow so if the gut is stressed well that definitely can create some negative effects but like i mentioned before with glyphosate or with any food for that matter that can create leaky gut well then those undigested food particles or potentially maybe some chemicals or toxins that are in the food or whatever, they have an easier chance of passing through the digestive wall, getting into the bloodstream, and therefore the blood then is going, recirculating through the body and it can get up into where there's some vulnerability. And oftentimes with children with autism, they're gonna have that leaky blood brain barrier if they've got leaky gut. And so then there's this connection with how the blood is flowing and then it even inserts some of those toxic chemicals into the brain which can make things you know pretty stressful for that individual and the body feels like there's a fire going on but there's no apparent fire but they're in that fight or flight mode and where it just seems like they're always on edge or unable to really be able to be calm and more you know relaxed and more focused but it's, it's similar to, imagine if you and I, we were at a park or let's say up in the canyon and we were eating um, lunch and we were having a pleasant afternoon and all of a sudden a wild bear comes out of the woods and he starts chasing us. So would our body care about digestion at that point? Not at all. The body would say, you, we can call a timeout on digestion. <laughs> we're not gonna worry about that. You just need to get up and run and get out of here. So that's the difference from going to what we call a parasympathetic state, which is more that calming, restful, your body's ability to digest and just kind of process. It's, a, it's the state of being where we're in when we can relax and, our, and recover, you know, where our body's healing. And parasympathetic, we wanna be in that mode probably 80% of the time. Sympathetic is a wonderful thing, which is that fight or flight mechanism that we go into when we see that bear trying to chase us is your body says, stop what everything you're doing, get up and run. The blood gets to our, our legs and our arms and we start running as fast as we can. 
And that's the sympathetic where we have to really literally, like we say, fight or flight and get out um, as fast as possible. And it's a saving, it's, a, it's something that will save us. But when that's turned on all the time, 100%, this is gonna be a big issue um, for, for these kids. And this is why we see a lot of these kids that seem to have a hard time focusing at school have a hard time really being able to communicate clearly. Um, maybe they are more prone to, you know, hitting their siblings or, you know, just getting distracted. Uh, you know, and, and not all kids are, are going to be like this, but, but there's definitely a lot of them that are. So even though there's no bear chasing them, their body is in the mindset of thinking like, oh, fight or flight, and it's turned on over, <laughs> overboard, you know, pedal to the metal in a sense. And so if we can have this nice balance of sympathetic and parasympathetic where we start to increase parasympathetic and decrease sympathetic, then it's amazing how you know, our kids can, can actually function and communicate and you know, reason with us a little bit, a little bit better as well. So, and, and to help a child that um, you know, is, a, is suffering with autism or does have hyperactivity or whatever, some of the wonderful tools that we can use is detoxification. That is one powerful tool. Um, there's a few others that I would also include in there, which is you know chiropractic, um, helping the nervous system and using certain techniques there, because that's another powerful thing. And then um, of course, digestion and digestive health with nutrition. But we're gonna start with talking about detoxing, okay? So with detoxing the body, there's definitely certain steps to this. Now, one of the main things that we need to do is make sure that in order to have a real effective detox, this first thing you got to understand is this isn't just like a, um, a 10 day cleanse or a 21 day, you know, detox. This is something that's a process. So, you know, to do it right and to do it safe, because there's a wrong way to do detox. <laughs> there really is where you can potentially create more issues and challenges and frustration and symptoms. And then there's the right way, and I'm gonna explain to you the right way to do it. So the right way would include um, focusing on opening up what we call the downstream detox pathways. And I'm gonna show you a little bit more about this on, on a picture here in a minute, but I'll explain it first. So we wanna make sure that the liver, you know, the kidney, your colon, your digestive tract, the lymphatic system, make sure those are nice and clean and open and ready to just move things along the way they're supposed to. Because the liver is the main detoxing organ in the body and the kidneys definitely support as well as digestive system. Um, the lymphatic system, which maybe some of you have heard about this, but just to be clear, it's one that's not often talked about, that's the internal waste removal system in our body. So when we have inflammation due to um, a headache or inflammation due to a cut, or maybe we sprained our ankle or inflammation in our gut from eating some inflammatory foods, well, that inflammation has to go somewhere and it's gonna get absorbed into the, the lymphatic system. And then the lymphatic system, our body has a way to pump it and to pump it out and it drops right in behind our collarbones into some blood vessels there. And then our blood will take that waste, process it, you know, it goes through the liver, the kidney, and then it goes out into the toilet. And then of course, 
Some of that might even go into the digestive or digestive tract and the body will take that and eliminate that as well. So that's the first thing. Because if you go straight into trying to pull out some of these toxins, guess what? And if those liver, that kidney, that colon, the lymphatic system is not clear and clean, how do you think that's gonna feel? Imagine this, I've got, a, I've got six children. <laughs> Imagine if our whole family used the toilet and no one ever flushed it. That would be pretty nasty, wouldn't it? So we don't want that to happen and that's why we wanna make sure and open up those downstream detox pathways so that we don't have a stinky toilet, okay? Um, but uh, by doing that, you know, there's definitely some things you can do to support those organs and glands, you know, and there's definitely different herbs and supplements that I use um, to help individuals that can be really specific at making sure to help with that. So that's, that's step one. I would even call that a preparatory phase. So in a sense, detox hasn't even begun. And that's, that's what most people's detox looks like. If you go to like the, you know, the store and you go to the natural, you know, health, health food store and they, you, you ask about the detox program or box or whatever, well, they're just helping cleanse your colon, cleanse your liver, cleanse your kidneys, which is great. And there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not enough. So I'm gonna tell you the next step, all right? So this is where we start to pull some of these toxins out. Some of those ones I mentioned, the heavy metals, the mold, the fungus, um, you know, potentially a parasite or an infection, uh, you know, those pesticides, herbicides. And we get those superficial toxins. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the cream off the top in a sense, the easier things that you can actually just naturally pull. And we use specific binders, and which is a real key. You must have a good binder in order to detox effectively. Now there's a lot of binders out in the market that um, are helpful, but they're not necessarily as effective as what we would want. So a good binder as far as detoxing is something that has the ability to, in a sense, act like a catcher's mitt, grab onto that toxin, hold on to it, and make sure it's not gonna go away. Because our body is super smart and so efficient um, with what it produces. So the liver, for example, and I'm, you know, this is all gonna make sense, but the liver produces bile, and the bile is actually one of those things that's used to help bind some of these toxins. But unfortunately, it's not gonna be the most effective to really always carry things out of the body. So this binder that we have that acts like a catcher's mitt will grab onto that toxin, will hold onto it, and make sure it gets eliminated into you know the toilet. Um, otherwise, what happens if we don't have a good strong binder, we'll have what we call a redistribution of toxins in the body. So it's almost like musical chairs where one toxin was over here in this part of the body, and yeah, you were able to pull it out with some different strategies, but no, if you if you never bind it, then guess what? It's now sitting over here in this part of the body, you know? And so that can be problematic because where um, this can lead to other symptoms and other challenges that people have. And some of you may have experienced uh, detoxing and you're like, that was an awful experience. Well, why? Number one, you probably didn't do the preparatory phase. Number two, you probably didn't have the right binders to make sure to latch onto it. Because sometimes when we detox, and oftentimes when we detox, there can be some sometimes some uh, symptoms where your body's like, whoa, I'm passing something that's not so pleasant. But once it gets gone, you know, then we're good. 
we just don't want it to stay in there. Um, and so, so we want to make sure we have good binders. There's different, um, different supplements out there. There's some that I would say are better than others. And um, definitely, uh, you know, there's even some, some ones that you'll hear about, like, uh, you know, cilantro um, is one that's often known. And, and that's not necessarily um, awful, but I wouldn't say it's the strongest binder that there is. There's some definitely more effective ones. So going forward with the second part of the phase is we're pulling some of those toxins out. So in order to find a good binder, you know, you could contact a holistic uh, physician, you know, maybe a chiropractic physician that practices functional medicine or is known to, to be good at uh, helping people with detoxing. Um, naturopathic doctors likely would have some, some resources there too, because you're not necessarily going to get it straight from the grocery store always and find something. However, you know, there are some plants that can be shown to be effective. But um, to be really thorough, I would definitely encourage anyone that's going to be serious about detoxing that they get with someone that they trust, that knows what they're doing in order to have the proper binder. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be frustrated if you're trying to do it on your own. So, and we've talked about the binders. Now, I want to mention uh, some other aspects of this as we start to pull these toxins out. We've already opened up those downstream detox pathways. Now we're starting to see more things coming to the surface and we're starting to push things out. What's gonna happen though is those toxins that are deeper in the tissues will now start to surface even more, which is great. And so this is just kinda, of, we're opening up the floodgates and we're getting these things out. Now for some people, this can be a process where it's not necessarily gonna be a weeks or even a months. I mean, there's some people where it can take years to truly detox everything especially that after that second phase, as we kind of go through that, we're gonna get into what we call the brain phase. And this is where a lot of power can happen, a lot of magic can happen in a sense, where the body is starting to release toxins that are found in the brain. Because toxins love fat, and our brain is basically one big ball of fat in a sense. And it, there's an affinity for some of those toxins to just go and hang out in the brain. And this means that's going to affect, you know, our children, affect us. I mean, it can affect everyone. And, and I know this is primarily for children with autism and families that have children with autism. But I know parents, I know this means this could be affecting you too. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a second, which is what I call generational toxicity. But so I want to give you some tidbits as well, which can be helpful to understand you know, and especially if you found yourself in a predicament where maybe you're in a point where you have some resistance to lose weight. Maybe your hormones feel like they're off. Maybe your energy is low and you're crashing. Maybe you feel older than you really are and you're not able to function as well as you want to. Maybe there is a history of Alzheimer's or dementia. Well, guess what? A lot of this can be connected to toxicity as well, not just autism. So making sure that you're aware of this can be really powerful for you too because those toxins they'll go and they'll hang out in areas of the brain one is you know, a couple in particular called the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland and i'll explain what that is the hypothalamus is the master hormone center of the body so it's the area in our brain that actually is in a sense directing and calling all the shots as far as hormone production It'll, it'll start up here, then it sends a signal to the pituitary gland right below it, and then the pituitary gland will then send 
hormones to the body, such as the thyroid, such as the adrenal glands, such as the male hormones and female hormones. So individuals that maybe have trouble with infertility, this could also be stemming all the way from upstream in the brain. Also, the, the pituitary will send signals to the growth hormone, which helps our body repair and, and be able to recover from injury or just heal faster. So this is so all-encompassing and it really can be um, such a powerful thing to understand and realize, holy cow, no wonder why you know, I have this or that or whatever, you know, the fatigue, you know, chronic fatigue or, you know, my hair is falling out or, or maybe I can't get pregnant or um, whatever it may, it may be or my, my child is, is suffering. And this can all stem to this. So with the brain phase, there's some additional strategies that we use in, in getting the, some of these supplements that we'll use um, to scour the brain, pull it out, crosses the blood-brain barrier, brings it out again, takes it and delivers it to the catcher mitt, and then we can get it out. So this is a cycle that we process through, and it goes you know, over months and years is kind of like what I was saying, to be truthfully transparent, because I don't want anyone to have any you know, idea that, oh great, if I just do this for a month <laughs> or two months, I'm gonna be good. Uh, you know, Of course, that'll be great to start on that path, but it definitely is going to require some persistence, some longevity, and in, in being on, to, you know, staying focused with this process. We hope you're enjoying this presentation. At any time, we invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum. How do we get exposed to toxins? All right, we've already discussed the food supply, so the pesticides and the herbicides that are sprayed on a lot of our crops. Now, I wanna talk a little bit more in depth on some of those other toxins that I already discussed, specifically some of those heavy metals. Let's start there. So mercury, mercury um, is very, very common toxin found in a lot of these children with autism. It is the number, the number one cause of mercury toxicity comes from dental work, okay? So uh, if you have a silver filling, uh, then you have some mercury toxicity in your body. So a silver filling is 50% made of mercury. So it's several metals that have been come together and formed together to make an amalgam. They put it in your tooth and it can expand and contract. And the thing about the mercury in your, your tooth, it emits some gas and mercury gas that can get into the brain and can settle there. The thing about um, mercury as well in the, in the teeth is if we don't ever remove that, then unfortunately we're constantly being exposed to some toxins. Some other ways that you may be exposed to mercury is definitely found in vaccinations and flu shots. So this has been a very inexpensive um, filler preservative used for the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies to preserve the, the vaccine. And it's known as the Marisol. It's a mercury um, derivative and it can be injected. And then unfortunately it becomes neurotoxic and can definitely overwhelm and create a lot of stress on both the immune system naturally, which is what a vaccine's meant to do, but also um, the, the, the brain and the digestive system. So the mercury can get, a, get into our system that way. I would add and piggyback onto that is aluminum, 
which is very commonly found in most vaccines nowadays as well, um, which also comes from vaccines primarily. Uh, of course, aluminum cans, um, tin cans, you know, there's that's another heavy metal that we can get exposed to. Lead, for example, can come from many sources. So if you ever lived in a home that was older than 1978, most of those homes had lead-based pipes, lead-based pa lead paints. And so even the dust off of those you know, um, paints from the wall, breathe that in, guess what? We're getting exposed to lead. Lead can also come from um, you know, makeup. <laughs> it can come from um, art uh, materials and ceramic type stuff. So there's a lot of exposure. We've heard of in the news lately, uh, depending on where you live in the, in the country, Lead has uh, been shown to found high levels in our drinking water too, unfortunately, in some areas of the country. So uh, it definitely, there's a lot of it um, that comes from that. We already discussed a little bit about the mold and how that's just kind of a pretty natural, you know, thing that can be exposed to us where we're in more moist cultures, really damp um, homes homes that have been known to have a lot of water damage or even in a business or schools. I mean, there's been times I've walked into hotels and that musty smell, guess what? There's probably some form of mold maybe in that home to some degree, maybe not enough to be super toxic, but for some people that are really sensitive, it can definitely throw them over the top and put them into a, you know, an, uh, a position where they're suffering. So, and believe it or not, one of the most common ways that we are exposed to toxins is actually through generational toxicity. What do I mean by that? Meaning it can be passed on from four generations. So what's in me right now, as far as any potential toxin, I could have received it from my great grandma. So from mom to, to child, you know, there's that process of as the baby is growing in the womb, there's definitely certain toxins that can be passed across that placenta and into the child. And of course, every mother, you know, that hears this thinks, oh no, what am I doing? And of course, obviously it's no one's fault. This is just what happens. So mercury can be passed from mom to child. In fact, there was a study done in Europe called the DRASH study. And it, they found the number of silver fillings in a mother's mouth was reciprocal to the amount of mercury toxicity in her child's brain. Crazy to think about that that could be an effect. So if your mother had silver fillings when she was pregnant with you, guess what? Then you likely have some form of mercury toxicity. If your mother had some form of lead in her, guess what? You likely have some form of lead toxicity. If you have any form of toxins in you, then you likely may have passed them on to your child. Now lead is often stored in the bones. And so when a mom is going through that process of creating life and you know that baby is growing, well the body naturally will take some, break down some bone for receiving some minerals to deliver it to the baby. Well, even though they're delivering those good minerals from the bone, unfortunately lead is coming along with it. So I've seen, I've got a colleague of mine healthy, healthy um, individual. His family was raised in a home where they were extremely healthy. And they realized that um, in the adolescent age of one of their child children, he was not healing the way he was supposed to. They did a specific test to measure to see heavy metals. Sure enough, he had high, high levels of lead. 
And how did he get those? Well, his mother had very high levels of lead. And so it's like, what other way would have it been exposed? And so, and there's other studies too that have shown this generational toxicity. So this is why another thing that I encourage a lot of families too that are considering to have children in the future to be ready and be prepared and do a detox prior to having kids. Because if you do, then you're minimizing your chances, number one, of you know creating long-term added stress on your body, but also minimizing the negative effects of potentially passing toxins to your child. Now, what about children with autism? Why would they be more susceptible or have such a negative effect on toxins compared to say other children? Well, there's a couple things. Number one, the environmental working group did a study on the blood of newborn babies, specifically from the cord, the umbilical cord. They drew some blood and they actually measured on average, there was over 200 toxins found in new cord or newborn babies blood from the cord. Pretty crazy to think about. And what's even more incredible is several of those were had connections to cancer. <laughs> okay. So our children oftentimes, and this is the majority of times I should say, are already being born predisposed to having a toxic bucket full. Okay. And that's what, what the difference is here with children with autism and maybe someone else is the toxic bucket. Okay. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more. So we all have genetically a toxic bucket. Some people can handle a lot more than others. And that might mean why they don't get so overwhelmed with the same exposure that maybe a child with autism does. But if we're already coming into this world, potentially predisposed to having some sort of a, you know, a trigger effect that could just set, you know, set things off and go boom, then this is really what it comes down to. And, and, and why is this way? I don't necessarily have a good answer for you other than this is the, the thing that has made the most sense to really understanding why some kids are more susceptible. Okay. Uh, that a child with autism might be more susceptible to toxins compared to a neurotypical child is really can come down to the toxic bucket. Okay. Cause we all are being exposed by toxic chemicals, you know, heavy metals, potentially, I mean, they're coming from every which way. All right. So this is a big reason why, you know, this might be a stressor on your child. We've talked a little bit about how chiropractic can be beneficial for children with autism. And I want to explain more detail about how that might look and why that might be a great strategy for you and your family. We've talked a lot about the organs, the glands that, you know, suffer from, uh, you know, toxins. Well, let me show you some really fantastic ways to help our bodies naturally heal. So our bodies are designed to be self-healing and self-regulating. In fact, our bodies are designed to thrive. They are so Im incredibly intelligent, very smart, and they know exactly what to do if they're just given the right opportunity. Times we have to remove that interference or maybe the things that are causing the most stress. So we talked about toxins as one of them. Well, there can be what we call misalignments or subluxations, which is a fancy name that chiropractors like to use, which means a vertebrae can be out of alignment and it can cause 
a negative effect on the nerves leaving the spinal cord. So as you know, our brain sits here, the spinal cord runs down the whole spine, and it sends messages of all these nerves to every organ, gland, tissue, cell, you name it. So if our spine is not functioning the way it's supposed to, it can have a negative effect on these nerves leaving our spinal cord. And it can definitely create some added stress on an individual. The nerves that leave this area of the spine, they actually go and attach to your stomach. They go and attach to your pancreas and even contribute to your liver. So think of the power and the benefit that can come from addressing you know, good function of the spine to allow better communication from the brain to the whole body. Now with, with uh, children with autism, one area that is commonly, uh, and I would say very importantly, um, you know, uh, a place that needs to be focused on is the what we call the upper cervical spine. It's right in the back of the head, right on top of that very top vertebrae, there can be some areas that get subluxated, or like I said, meaning that joint is just not moving and it's restricted, it's not allowing proper function. That can have a direct connection with that part of the nervous system that we've talked about, the parasympathetic, which is that more calming and restful and digestive you know, part of the nervous system. And if we can positively affect this part of the brain and the nervous system, man, it can do, do a lot of good in reducing stress and tension on the body. So chiropractic is a phenomenal tool. I've seen it do wonders for individuals and children. And even when I first got into this journey, this was the first tool I had and the only tool I had originally. And I still found that this alone did some really good things for the kids, but I realized it wasn't enough. And that's why I learned more about detoxification of the brain, detoxification of the body, and of course, the proper nutrition and digestive health as well. As far as some, some good therapies that you might consider or want to, to look into, um, along with chiropractic, would be uh, cranial sacral is another great technique that can be really helpful for children with autism. And as far as finding a good chiropractor, I would definitely make sure that they know how to do a lot of work with the upper cervical spine and that they can do it effectively. So those are the types of chiropractors that can be really powerful and helpful, is doing some good effective adjustments of the neck, um, the upper part of the neck, and, um, and that can help, again, calm down that fight or flight mechanism that you and I um, are now familiar with after discussing that before. So in, in my office, I've had many families that have come in with the big concern and question about vaccinations. Now, I'm not one to tell you whether to get vaccinated or to vaccinate your children or whether not to. This is something where you have to do the research you have to do the legwork and make that informed decision for yourself. Okay, I just wanna be clear on that. And I'm not against anyone that chooses to do it. I say bless you because I know as a parent, you're trying to do the very best thing you can for your child. Those parents that choose not to, I say bless you because I know that you've probably done some studying and research on your own that's made you feel that, hey, this might be actually potentially harmful for my child or in the case that I'm going to refer to next is oftentimes I've had parents come in and said, my child was fine until the vaccination they received. 
and how it just threw their body into that sympathetic overdrive, toxic bucket overflow, everything just coming to the surface and just, you know, the bomb blew up, right? And I, and I, and it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart to see these families that now are in a position where they've trying to do the best they can. And now their child, their child is suffering and they don't have an, an answer for him. That's one of the biggest reasons why I've gotten into this and why I want to share this with you and why this whole process is so important because I've had parents crying in my office and, and I want to have an answer to help them. So for families that still want to provide immunity for their child, there's answers. You can choose not to vaccinate. And if you do, that's okay. If you choose to vaccinate, well, guess what? There's some of these strategies we talked about that can help your child prior to going into becoming vaccinated that can minimize some of those toxic effects. Again, you would want to find a healthcare provider that's a holistic, natural healthcare provider in your area to guide you and lead you. I've got certain families that have reached out to me and I'm happy to even talk to you over the phone to guide you if you can't find anyone, just to let you know, okay? But if those families that say, you know what, I don't want to go down this path again. I don't want to have this, this stress on my child, but I do want them to have immunity and I want to keep them safe from childhood illness. Well, I've been so fortunate to come across something that I've learned just in the last little over a year now, and it's called homeoprophylaxis. So this is a way to create real immunity for your child without the toxic effects, the negative um, side effects from, from vaccines, there's no harmful component to this whatsoever. It's been around since 1799. So there's actually, <laughs> this isn't some new, new therapy that just came off the, the corner of the street. Um, Dr. Samuel Hahnemann, he's the father of homeopathy. And he actually used this back in 1799 with scarlet fever. And so there was a huge scarlet fever um, breakout in Germany at that time. And what they were finding is most homeopaths will treat something as soon as the, the disease shows up. And they've had great success doing that for centuries. But Samuel Hahnemann, he said, well, hey, what if we administer this to the child before? How's that gonna act? And guess what? It was extremely effective, so effective that it just became something that the, the country decided to implement and use for, for everyone that um, as a mandatory, mandatory thing. Now, homeoprophylaxis, we can use that same methodology, that same approach, that same application for these childhood illnesses, such as pertussis, which you and I know as whooping cough, polio, you know, mumps, you know, measles, um, you know, Haemophilus influenza. I mean, all those different childhood illnesses that we, we know about that we need to have our child protected from, guess what? There's, there's a, an approach and an application that can be used.
And so it's very simple. It can even be done with newborns. And the, the homeopathic way of creating this is done with succussion, which is kind of a, a shaking and basically taking an initial, um, uh, an initial discharge or sputum or um, you know the you know infectious agent, whatever you want to call it. They'll put it in a tincture and they'll shake it so many times and then they'll pour it in something else and shake it and shake it. Well, guess what happens after all this dilution? Guess what? That what was in that original thing, there is no longer any fragment of that illness or disease or whatever left. So what's what is left is the energetic component of it. It's pretty fascinating. That's how homeopathy works. So the energetic component is is present and that can be put in these teeny teeny little pellets and you can actually put it right in the into the child's mouth and it'll just dissolve. And that is how you can introduce it to your child. Very safe, very effective. Now, it can um, definitely stimulate the, the immune system to a certain degree. And so what some people might find is when they do apply it, maybe the, the diaper might be a little more full or, or a little more runny, or maybe they might be just a little more irritable. And the only reason why that would be the case is because that child was more susceptible to that disease or illness. And so their body, you know, the reaction to it is it's creating that immune response that's not going to be as drastic or dramatic as if they ever got exposed to it, you know, naturally in nature, or of course, you know, um, you know, from any kind of a vaccine, but the body will naturally create that immunity. And what's nice is you can do this and you can dose this and people ask about booster shots and things like that, or going out of the country and there's a lot of remedies and applications for that as well. And so you can do dose this and there's a whole plan that um, that can be put together that I that I use with a lot of the clients that I work with. And it's really specific, direct, it's easy. And what's great is it can give you that peace of mind to know that, okay, you know, I'm not gonna vaccinate, but I do want my child to get some form of immunity. Here's a good solution for you. So let me tell you why I even chose to get into this. As a chiropractor, you know, you would think, how in the heck did you get into serving children with autism? Well, I've got two stepsisters that both have children with autism on the spectrum. One who is high functioning, the other one who um, is very low functioning. In fact, uh, nonverbal when I first met him. And I saw the challenge and the struggle that they went through, specifically the one that was low functioning, of how it put such a burden and a strain on their family. I noticed the, the little brother and sister, you know, oftentimes it seemed like, not, not because it was the parents' fault, but it was as if, you know, sometimes because they were so busy taking care of their child with autism, that these other kids, you know, didn't necessarily, they weren't neglected, but oftentimes, you know, it, you know, they didn't get the attention that the parent wanted to give them as much as they, they really were hoping to. And it was a challenging thing. And, and I had no idea that autism was something that could be helped and could be treated. And I'm not one that's here to tell you I can cure autism. I'm here to help people know that there's ways to help those imbalances, okay? And that there's ways to provide solutions. And, and I've seen it happen and I've seen the benefits and the positive things that happen from a child that goes from 
barely verbal, now creating full sentences or not communicating or interacting with their siblings. Now they're playing together like they're best friends or, you know, so many different things with being more attentive in school. And so when I see that, it just gives me that passion and, and I'm on a journey and I'm not, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue to, to learn and I'm going to continue to study. I'm going to continue to look for whatever ways I can to help those children with autism. And that's why I'm here today and why it's so important to me. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. We now invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.